all of our hopes and expectations, hanging all of those on keep but abstain? What if instead we build 2020 on God's unchanging promises to us? God's promises to us. And so last week we looked at John chapter 1 in that beautiful and poetic scripture that talks about the word becoming flesh and making his home among us. We talked about how Jesus embodies, how Jesus puts flesh and bones on God's promise to be present with us. To be near to God's people always. And today we look at a promise that gets right to the heart of our identity. Right to the heart of our identity. The deepest part of who we are. A promise that has power. That's the promise of belovedness. The promise of belovedness. In God's promise of belovedness, we become in our lives whoever the one who loves us the most and the one we love the most says that we are. We become in our lives whoever the one who loves us the most and who we love the most says that we are. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us and transform us, that we might bear fruit for you through the power of your Holy Spirit. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter, verses 13 through 17. I invite you to listen for God's word. At that time, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to, so that John would baptize him. John tried to stop him and said, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus answered, allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water. Heaven was opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I dearly love. Or Some translations say, this is my beloved. I find happiness in him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. We saw the index cards on your seat, or if you haven't yet, please see them. Take it out. That index card, something to write with. And on one side of the index card, I want you to draw a line down the middle so that it splits it in half. And on one side of the half, I want you to, to quickly, without overthinking it, And just being honest, write down who other people say that you are. Who other people say that you are. I mean, beyond the name that they call you. Right? Who do people tell you that you are? What are the words that you hear? Some of those may be positive. Some of them may be negative. Just be honest. Who do other people tell you that you are? Okay, now, same side of the card, but on the other half of your line, I want you to write down who you say you are. Who do you tell yourself that you are? What are some of the words that you use? Again, just be honest. Don't overthink it. 
Some words might be positive. Some words might be negative. Who do you tell yourself that you are? When you're finished with that, you can put the card to his side, but we're going to pick it up later, so don't, don't, don't put it away too far. So whether we realize it or not, we were writing about our identity just then. Now, I don't mean the identity on our D car, ID cards or driver's licenses, you know, 5'8", brown hair, starting to gray already, uh, that kind of thing. It was interesting, yesterday I was preaching um, in Wilmington with Randy Evans, who came a couple years ago. He has a ministry there called Walking Tall. Uh, and they have a, a feast gathering where unsheltered friends gather together for worship and a meal, and he invites people to be guest pastors. So I did that, and unbeknownst to the person I met, uh, we were going to be talking about identity, and we were having a conversation about IDs. He asked me what I did, and I said I, I was a reverend. He was like, oh, do you know that that's on your, if you're a reverend, you have that on your driver's license? And I was like, no, you don't. They don't put, like, your titles. And he was like, yeah, flip it over to the back. And he showed me on the back of the card, and, of course, the it doesn't, it doesn't really stand for Reverend, but it's R-E-V. And I was like, what? No way. R-E-V, it's right there. Y'all might be, y'all might be Reverends too, but um, I just thought that was so funny. But I don't, I don't even mean that. I don't even mean, uh, I don't even mean Reverend. I mean identity like the, the deepest part of who we are, who we understand ourselves to be. My guess is, whether we wrote them down or not, whether we hear them from the voices um, Of others, the voices of the culture, the voices in our own heads, we've all heard things like, you're no good, you're worthless, you're a failure, you're ugly, you're a disappointment, you're a nobody, you are what you do, you are what you don't do, you are what you have, you are what you don't have, you've got to earn it, you've got to earn love. And it's easy to believe them. We're wired so that something outside of ourselves tells us who we are. Henry Henry Nouwen, an incredibly wise priest, said that self-rejection is the greatest trap that we face. Not success, not popularity, not power. He writes, when we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap is self-rejection. He goes on to say, I'm constantly surprised by how often I give in to this temptation. As soon as someone accuses me, as soon as someone criticizes me, as soon as I feel or am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody. And to that, I would also add... Like, it's what makes me and and us so paranoid about what others think about us. It's what makes us compare ourselves to other people constantly. It's what makes us think we have to somehow earn our love from others, even from God. And the trouble is, we pay more attention to the kinds of things that we just wrote on that piece of paper than to the one who loves us the most and who we should love the most, God. Which is why we so desperately, desperately need to trust and believe with every fiber of our being in God's promise of belovedness. 
God's promise of belovedness, which is why we need to trust and believe in the one who loves us the most and the one we should love the most and what God says that we are, which is why we need to come back to the waters of baptism. You are beloved. Beloved, we heard that word in our scripture uh, reading. Jesus has not even begun his ministry yet. He hasn't done any of the things we think of Jesus doing, turning water to wine, multiplying loaves and fishes, healing people, eating with sinners, teaching the crowds, calling disciples. He's pounded some nails with his dad, the carpenter. He's been to the temple and the synagogue to learn the Jewish scriptures. And then Matthew tells us that Jesus comes to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River was a deep, deep place of identity for the Jewish people because it was crossing the Jordan River where God's people finally entered into the land that God had promised. And so it would be a deep place of identity for Jesus too. Jesus goes there to be baptized. And the most amazing and beautiful interaction happens there between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Jesus comes up Out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And the voice of his heavenly father says, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. Another translation says, this is my son chosen and marked by my love. Delight of my life. And there, friends, in that moment, Jesus' identity is sealed. This is who he is. He is God's beloved, period. Period. He is who the one who has always loved him the most and who he has always loved the most says that he is. In other words, he's defined by his heavenly father's perfect love for him. His identity is found there. That's what tells him who he is. And his entire ministry, Jesus' entire ministry operates out of that place of being his father's beloved. And this is important because right after Jesus is baptized in Matthew's gospel, and here's his heavenly father tells him that he's beloved, Jesus is in the wilderness and is tempted by the devil for 40 days. And do you know how he's tempted? Satan tries to undercut Jesus' identity undercut voice of his heavenly father telling him that he is his beloved in whom he delights we become in our lives whoever the one who loves us the most and who we love the most says that we are and God says that we are beloved and the place that promise of belovedness begins to seep into our heart and into our lives is at the waters of baptism In the same way, when Jesus came up out of the the waters to a voice of love and power saying, you are my son, my beloved son, in and through Jesus, when we are baptized, God tells us who we are. God speaks in love and power to the depths of our hearts and souls. You, you are my beloved child and you bring me great happiness. God claims us. God tells us we are beloved I'm a dad, as y'all know, and they make these books. And you know if you're, you're a parent or a grandparent, they make these books that you buy. You can fill out when your baby is born, and there's a place in there where you put in the height and the weight, and there's a place for, for a handprint and a footprint, and there's a place in there you can 
um, write down your relatives, and there are places in there where you can stick pictures. And some even have a page where you can write down your hopes and your wishes for your child. And there's some blanks for that. And I remember in my mind getting to this page thinking, oh my goodness, like this is the real page right here. This is important stuff. And I remember writing something down. I can't remember if it was for Gabriel or Ellis. Courageous, imaginative, and kind. But, But I have a feeling if God were to fill out one of those books for each one of us as God's children, when God got to that page where you could write wishes for your child, God would only use one blank and it would say this. I want you to know that you are my beloved. I want you to know that you're my beloved. Baptism marks that, except in baptism, God doesn't write it in a book. In baptism, God writes it on our hearts, inscribes it deep into our souls, beloved. It's God's divine stamp of love upon us, offered to us free of charge. It's something that we, we live into thereafter. We become whoever the one who loves us the most says that we are. It's amazing how this happens in Scripture, right? God does this constantly in the Bible. God told Moses he was a leader, and Moses became one. God told Noah he was a sailor, and he became one. God told Sarah in her barrenness that she was a mother, and she became one. God told Peter he was a rock, and he led the church. In our baptism, God tells us we are beloved. Because of Jesus and the baptism of his suffering death on the cross and in his resurrection, we are given a new identity in Christ as beloved children of God. First John says, look what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Romans 8, you have received a spirit that shows that you are adopted as God's children. And that spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Children, And when we remember our baptism, we remember who and whose we are at the deepest, deepest level. We tune in once more to that spirit of God, whispering in the midst of all the other voices that are out there, telling us we're not blank enough. You fill in the blank. You are God's beloved. That's what's whispered. No matter what you tell yourself, no matter what others or the culture says that you are or should be, No matter what you've done or haven't done, what you have or don't have in the middle of joy, in the middle of pain, in the middle of hardship, triumph, because of Jesus Christ, you are God's beloved. And we are intimately loved long before parents or teachers or children or spouses or friends or the church or society loved us or wounded us. So I want you to take out your card again, flip it over to the back side. And on that side, in big, bold letters, all caps, if you want, I want you to write, Beloved. Beloved. Do you trust that promise? How do we begin to actually believe that? To become the beloved that God says that we are. I mean, can you imagine just for a second what a profound place of 
security and courage and grace and humility and freedom and love we would operate with if we truly believed that we were God's beloved? We wouldn't be wed, so we wouldn't be so wed to other people's opinions. We wouldn't constantly compare ourselves to others. We wouldn't be deceived into self-rejection. We'd know we were so much more than our successes or failures, more than other people's opinions, more than what we had or didn't have. Father Richard Ward says that we don't think our way into a new way of living. We live our way into a new way of thinking. And so I I wonder in those moments when it's tempting to believe what we wrote down on the other side of the card more than the beloved side, uh, when who God says we are gets drowned out by all those other voices trying to tell us who we are, what if we started doing things? What if we started doing things? Maybe we come to worship like this regularly and are a part of a community of faith that reminds us of our belovedness. Reminds us of who we really are. Maybe we pray that promise over and over again to ourselves constantly. Maybe we hightail it to the nearest water source and like just splash water all over us to remember our baptism. Maybe we, we go and love and serve our neighbors with just incredible generosity and, and hospitality. Maybe we love people not for self-validation, but because we have already been claimed and loved ourselves. Maybe we, we go out and boldly and securely stand against injustice and oppression because we know who we are. Maybe we go forgive someone. Maybe we let go of something that we've been clinging on to because we think that it gives us our real identity when really it's just propping up a false one. Maybe we li- if we lived like, if we acted like we were beloved, by and by we might actually start to believe it. We become in our lives whoever the one who loves us the most and who we love the most says we are. And God says we're beloved. Every night when I say goodnight to my kids, I tell them this, I love you. And you are God's special child. I love you and you are God's special child. And I do this because I hope that if they hear it enough, they might actually come to believe it. And it's what I want us to hear. At the beginning of a new year, full of the unknown, you are God's beloved. And I hope that you can hear that with all of the tenderness and force of the father to the son as he comes up out of the waters of the river Jordan. From me to my own boys. May they reverberate in every corner of your being. May they wash over you like the waters of baptism. You are beloved. That's a promise. From God in your baptism, just like it was for Jesus in his. We are wired so that something outside of us tells us who we are. And God's promise of belovedness. We become in our lives, whoever the one who loves us the most and who we love the most, says we are.
beloved, may that one be God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.